But before we do, I, I want to just make mention of a couple other things. Uh, first of all, Jeff uh, already prayed and, and thanked God for the ways that uh, he has blessed our church financially. And I wanted to put in the bulletin just a little financial update. Traditionally, we have not been that great about communicating where we're at financially. And some of you may remember this time last year, we were having to kind of scramble and redo the budget a little bit. And God has really blessed us this year, and we're in a much healthier place uh, financially. And so for all of you who give to Brown Corners Church, we just want to say thank you for your faithfulness and ask that you would continue to consider that a part of your worship. And, and uh, one, of the times, one of these times in the not-too-distant not too future, we're going to just have a time where, a Sunday where we talk a little bit about giving because a lot of us don't think about that as part of the worship service, as part of a way of giving back to God, which He's blessed us with. I mean, this isn't our, our own. Uh, the things that we have have been, have been given to us by God. We're stewards of them. And so we have the privilege of, of giving back to God. And so I hope you look at your, your giving as that. Um, the other thing I want to do before we, before we study God's word together is just have a word of prayer for the persecuted church today. As Jeff mentioned, today is the, the National Persecuted Church Sunday where, where churches around the world take time to, to pray and really have a concentrated time of of just looking at what our brothers and sisters in Christ are going through. I just want to mention briefly a couple of things. Christians, because we don't really know what this is like, right? I mean, we're, we're really, by and large, we may have a family member who won't talk to us because we're a Christian, or some guys at work kind of mock us because uh, we're going we're gonna to miss the, the game on Saturday because we're doing a, attending a, a church event or something. But by and large, we don't really face a lot of persecution. But not so around the world. As Christians, uh, I read this week, are the most persecuted religious group worldwide with an average of at least 180, 180 Christians killed each month for their faith. You can fathom that 180 are martyred each month for their faith around the world. Christians in more than 60 countries face persecution from their governments or surrounding neighbors simply because of their belief in Christ. In 41 of the 50 worst nations for persecution, Christians are being persecuted by Islamic extremists. According to Open Doors International, the top five countries that face the fiercest persecution are North Korea, Somalia, Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan. For 12 years now, Open Doors International has ranked North Korea as the number one, uh, is number one in the greatest severity of persecution against Christians. With the exception of the four official state-controlled churches in the capital city, Christians in North Korea face the risk of detention in the prison camps, severe torture, and in some cases, execution for practicing their religious beliefs. North Koreans suspected of having contact with South Korean or other foreign missionaries in China and those caught in possession of a Bible have been known to be executed. God has blessed us in the United States with the freedom of religion, the opportunity to get together freely and worship Him. None of you probably walked in here this day, today positioning yourself so that you could see, uh, the, ex- see the nearest exit or, or, or watch and worry about who might be kicking down the doors with automatic rifles. We're, we're really blessed to be able to have that freedom to worship. And as, uh, as we think today a little bit about those around the world who are facing persecution, I just want to pray for them. 
people that we don't know, we've never met, but that we will be worshiping alongside with in heaven. And we just want to bring them before the Lord here for a moment today. God, again, we've, we've had the privilege of, of praying several times today. And we know that your, your ear is always toward us. You're always listening, always hearing. And you know the concerns that are upon our heart. And today, Father, we remember those brothers and sisters of ours around the world that are suffering for their faith. God, grant them endurance. May they be faithful in the midst of severe rejection from family members, the danger of having everything taken away, the risk of being hauled off to prison and even losing their life for the Savior who bought them with His blood. God, please relieve their suffering so that they can worship together and so that they can freely meet May it try them and, and, and bring them forth as gold. May we face any suffering with courage and boldness, God. Help us to be prepared to go through whatever it takes, whatever we might face. May we be ready to face whatever you, you allow to come our way. May we be steadfast. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. In the few minutes we have left, I want us to, to consider the attribute of God, the God who is all-powerful. If you're into theology and you want to think about the theological term behind it, it's God's omnipotence, God's all-powerfulness. I think sometimes children understand some of these things better than us. A boy was standing around waiting to meet his family after church when the pastor walked by, knowing this child was a regular attendee in Sunday school, the pastor thought he'd quiz the youngster to see what he'd been learning. Billy, the pastor began, if you can tell me something God can do, I'll give you this apple. Without a moment's hesitation, Billy looked back at the pastor and said, pastor, if you can tell me something God can't do, I'll give you a whole box of apples. <laughs> Our God is all-powerful. I was talking to a pastor this week, and he asked what I was preaching on, and I told him, and he said, you know, I said I, I'd, I'd picked a passage to really highlight and bring this forth, but he said, you know, really, that's, that attribute of God is Genesis through Revelation. I mean, that's God displaying his power in his creation over and over and over and over again. We could, we could talk about the seven days of cre- the six days of creation. We could talk about Abraham and Sarah having a baby well into the twilight of their life. We could talk about the plagues of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, a, a pillar of fire guiding the, the children of Israel at night. We could talk about God making the sun stand still while Israel defeated the Amorites. We could talk about Jesus and his many miracles as displays of God's power from calming the storm to healing a sick child to raising Lazarus from the dead, and we could talk about Jesus' own resurrection. All the way throughout Scripture, we see God's power displayed, and some of you have seen that keenly in your life. I picked a story today from 1 Kings 18 that I thought was a great example of God's display of power. We could have picked from dozens throughout Scripture, but this is one of those stories I absolutely love. You know, if you go to a ball game with me, I'm kind of a laid-back a fan. I like, to have, I like to have my popcorn and sit back and just observe the game. And I don't get too rowdy, too loud. But this is one of those stories that, that I'd get up and cheer about. Like this is worth knocking the popcorn and drink over 
and hooting and hollering about. And I, I love reading this story. Every time I read it in Scripture, I think, that's awesome. Way to go, Elijah. Way to go, God. If, if you have a copy of God's Word, I, I encourage you to, to turn to this passage with me. 1 Kings chapter 18. And we're going to start reading it at verse 20, and we're going to kind of walk along the, the passage. Um, if you have your notes, though, I want to make this first point before we, we get into the text as by way of background. Uh, as we think about God's power, first of all, God is not limited by his opponents. In case you don't know that, God is not up there like, oh, I wish there weren't so many bad guys in the world. I wish there weren't so many evil rulers in some of these countries. I wish there weren't so many people who oppose me because then I could really get done the things I want to get done. Listen, just to give you a little background, Elijah was a prophet of God, and he was prophesying to the northern kingdom of Israel. This, this part of the kingdom was just wicked from its inception. Ever since the, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom separated after Solomon, uh, the southern kingdom we talked about a few weeks ago had a few good kings. But the northern kingdom was just rotten through and through. And one of the worst kings they ever had was a man named Ahab. And to make him even worse... He married a wicked, wicked woman named Jezebel, who was a full-on idol worshiper. She was sold out to the, the, the god Baal and all the deities that came along with that. And so if I, Ahab wasn't already a bad enough guy, she convinced him to just um, infiltrate his kingdom with these gods and these false idols. And so if you were a worshiper of the true God, it was a dangerous time to live. And a man named, a man named, um, I'm drawing a blank on him. Um, it's in the first part of the passage here. Obadiah. He was not the Obadiah that wrote Obadiah. He was a different Obadiah prophet. How many prophets in the Bible could there be named Obadiah? I don't know. But this guy was someone who was standing up against the king, and he was willing to hide some of God's other prophets. He, he worked in the king's court, and he was willing to, to put them in hiding but he was still fearful of what could happen. And so he was treading lightly. And one day, I, Elijah walked up to him. Now, Elijah hadn't been seen in a while. And there'd been a famine on the land. And, and Elijah was the one that prophesied it was going to happen. And so Ahab and Jezebel were particularly on the lookout for Elijah. Because they blamed him for the famine. And they were angry with him. And so Elijah walks up to Obadiah. And Obadiah is like, are you kidding me? What, what are you trying to do to me here? You're, you're putting me in danger by being, being around. And Elijah assured him that everything was going to be okay, that he could relax a little bit. Um, but Obadiah explained just how, how difficult his life had been while he was trying to, on one hand, work for Ahab, and on the other hand, secretly hide these prophets. And I'm just reminded that God was protecting his people, that God was protecting his word by protecting his prophets, even in the midst of a nation being ruled by evil, wicked people. God's, not, God's power is not limited by his opponents. You know, we have elections coming up, and I, I don't want to get into, into politics and, and debates and things like this, but I do, want, I, I do want to remind us of this, that our God, no matter who gets elected, no matter who is, you know, what the results show Wednesday morning, that our God is still in control. That our, our powerful God is going to, all powerful God is going to get done the things that, that He wants to get done no matter what happens here on earth. 
Scripture tells us that whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. We're also told in, um, in Proverbs 21.1 that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Remember that no matter who's in power, no matter what your boss is like or, or how, how militantly opposed to the gospel that family member is, no matter what, God is not limited by those who oppose him. God's power allows him to get done the things that he wants to get done, even in the midst of great opposition. And that was the day and age in which Elijah lived. Secondly, God's power is not limited even by his servants. Even by his servants. And if you have your your Bible, look at verse um, 13 and, and 14. This is where Obadiah is speaking. He said, Has it not been told, my Lord, which is he's referring to Elijah, uh, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. So he did a very courageous thing. But it says, And now you say, Go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah's here? He'll kill me. He'll kill me. So Elijah wanted Obadiah to go back to Ahab and say, Let him know I'm, I'm back in town. And Obadiah's like, Are you nuts? Are you crazy? Even the greatest men of God, I, I have to think, would be a little bit shaking in their boots at, at that point. Knowing that this guy has killed prophets, his wife has killed prophets, and now Elijah is supposed to, Obadiah is supposed to go and deliver a message for Elijah on behalf of God? Are you, are you kidding me? Even in, listen, even in the midst of times when we have the greatest doubt, the greatest fears, the greatest terror, even when we blow it the biggest, God still works in spite of our weakness. Remember Moses? When God called him there at that burning bush and he said, I want you to be my mouthpiece. I want you to go deliver my people. And Moses immediately started making excuses. I can't do it. I'm, I, don't, I don't speak well. I'm, I'm nervous. I'm, he had a whole list. And God still provided a way. He let Aaron come along and, and help be the mouthpiece. And God still used someone who was weak, who was fearful, who made excuses, who wanted to bail I'm reminded that, that God's power still works in the midst of our weaknesses. In fact, in fact, that's when God's power is most glorified. When we're at our weakest, when we're trembling, when we don't know what to do, when we don't feel like we can go on, God wants His power to work through us so that He gets all the glory and all the praise. So God's power is not limited by His servants. Thirdly, God's power brings boldness and courage. So I love this here in verse 17. When Ahab and Elijah finally meet, Ahab saw Elijah and Ahab said to him, Is that you, troubler of Israel? (laughs) And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel in the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets, prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. See, God's power gave Elijah great boldness. Ahab confronts him and he says, you're the one who caused all these problems. And Elijah says, no, you have. You brought this stuff upon yourself. You're the real troublemaker here. And Elijah furthermore steps up and he says, let's find out whose God is the one true God. He said, 
Go get your prophets. Go get these holy men, so-called, and let's throw down a little bit. I mean, that kind of boldness does not come simply from within. That boldness comes from a man who knew his God, who knew a God that he had seen in the past act and show himself mightily. And he knew his God was the one true God. He had nothing to fear. He didn't have to worry about learning for the first time, oh, this Baal guy, he's for real. I had no clue. He was confident that his God was the one true God, and he was confident his God was going to show up and show himself mightily. And so Elijah called for a challenge. Now, he, he actually called for 850 of the prophets, 450 from Baal, 400 of Asherah. It doesn't look like the Asherah guys showed up. So it was Elijah versus 450. Little better odds than 850, but still pretty outnumbered, I would say. 1 to 450. There are probably, I don't know, just under 200 people in this room, something like that, right now. So double that and add 50. One guy against a whole bunch of prophets. Oh, and by the way, he's got the king, they've got the king and queen on their side as well. Yet, this man had the courage to say, let's go. I know, like Job said, I know my Redeemer lives. I know in whom I have believed, as Paul said. Elijah was confident, just like men of God who had come before him and those who had come after him. He knew his God was more powerful than any of these so-called gods. And so he challenged them that day. And I just want to ask you today, what, what kind of insurmountable odds are, are, you, are you in need of trusting God's power for? What's going on in your life that you just don't even pray about because it's like, that'll never happen? What is it in your life that, you lie, that causes you to lie awake at night or to wring your hands the most? What causes you the greatest and biggest doubts? Maybe it's a, an illness that you just feel like will never get better. Maybe it's a, a relative that you feel like will never, their stony heart will never, ever crack. They'll never come to Christ. Maybe it's a financial situation that you just feel like is way, way too far over your head. I want to remind us today that we serve the God of Elijah and he was willing to step up at the most impossible odds in the most impossible situation. And he had that courage because it was given to him by God. I want to challenge you to have the same. I want to move along because I want to make sure we get to the story. God's power, fourthly, reminds us to trust in him alone. Elijah rebuked the people in verse 21. It says, Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. God's power reminds us to trust him alone. And and Elijah reminded the people, you can't waffle back and forth between Baal and the true God. Pick a side. He says, how long will you go limping 
between two opinions. I think it's a, a play on words because we're going to see in a second when they were, when the prophets of Baal were trying to get their God to respond and send down fire from heaven, it, it refers to their dancing as limping. And he says, you people are just like the prophets of Baal, stumbling around the altar, making a fool of yourself. Turn away from that. And turn to the one true God. We can be tempted to find other avenues to place our trust, maybe in our own skill sets or uh, our own external resources, rather than trusting in God. And Elijah rebuked the people for that. So here's the story. Verse 22 says, Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left as a prophet of the Lord, which actually wasn't true, but he hadn't learned that yet. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose a bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. You call on the name of your God and I'll call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. And all the people answered, it's well spoken. So Elijah set it up. There's going to be two altars. You put your bull there, I'm going to put my bull here. And then you guys get to go first. You call down call out to your gods and whoever whoever whoever's god burns up the sacrifice and will know that's the one true god sound good they said yep sounds good verse 26 says that they did that they took the bull that was given to them they prepared it called upon the name of baal from morning till noon answering oh baal saying oh baal answer us but there was no voice, and no one answered, and they limped around the altar that they had made. So for all morning, all the way up to lunchtime, they were calling out, they were dancing, they were crying to their God that they thought was listening, asking Him to answer. I love verse 27. At noon, Elijah mocked them. <laughs> Those of you who are, uh, too bad Jerry Richardson's already gone to Florida. This would be happy to have a, a, a biblical precedent for picking on people. <laughs> At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is God. For he is a God, right? Either he's musing, or he's relieving himself, or on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be wakened. <laughs> Maybe he's deep in thought. Maybe he's not listening. If your translation says he's relieving himself, that's, that's actually what the Hebrew says. Maybe he's, maybe he's on the John guys. Just give him a little privacy. That's actually what Elijah tells him. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he took off. He's, maybe he's asleep. You need to wake him up. And so verse 28 says, They cried even louder and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation but there was no voice. No one answered and no one paid attention. The time of the offering of the oblation was twilight. So basically they spent the entire day, sun up to sundown, calling to their God. They were even cutting themselves, trying to make themselves a sufficient sacrifice to get his attention. The verse finishes was, there was no voice, no one answered. And no one paid attention. 
I'm so glad that that's not talking about our God. Our God listens. Our God has a voice. Our God answers. Sometimes it's not the answer that we expect or want, but he answers, and he has the power to answer. And so their turn was over, and it was Elijah's turn. If you have your notes, fifthly, God's power is not limited by quote-unquote impossible circumstances. Because here's what happened, and I'll summarize just for time's sake. Verses 30 through 35 tell us that Elijah built his altar, and then he started having, he said, wait a minute, before we do this thing, I want you to dump water on it. And he had them bring gallons and gallons of water, dumping it all over. The, the troughs around the edges of the altar were filled with water. And he says, I just want you to, I just want you to see something here. And if you've ever tried to let uh, light wet firewood, you know that it's, it's just not really a, it's kind of a fool's errand. It's just not going to happen. But Elijah wanted them to know that what was about to happen was a flat-out miracle, an exercise of God's power. But he wanted them to know that no matter how insurmountable the circumstances were, God's power was strong enough to work. And maybe you got some of those circumstances in your life right now where you think it's just impossible. I I don't see how it's going to happen. I don't see how God's going to come through this time. Don't forget, you serve the same God Elijah served. And then so lastly, God's power helps us pray with confidence. God's power helps us pray with confidence. I love this prayer, verse 36 and 37. At the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah Elijah the prophet came near and said, O God, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know, O Lord, that you are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. They got something right. (laughs) That was the proper response to the display of God's power. God didn't just burn the sacrifice. It says He burned up the dust. He burned up the stones and it licked up all the water. The fire from heaven consumed it all. It was gone. God's power helps us pray with confidence. See, see, Elijah believed that God was going to come through and act. And we don't always know how God's going to respond. Like we said, he doesn't always respond the way that we anticipate or expect. But we can pray with confidence knowing that we have an all-powerful God who, who reigns supreme. Story goes on to tell him that Elijah just chased down the prophets and he Killed them all. (laughs) Wiped them out. That day in Israel, even though the people eventually turned back to the idols, that day in Israel, there was no doubt who the one true God is. That day in Israel, the people, it was made very clear to them that the God, the one true God, is all-powerful. This week, as I had the privilege of being at the conference down in Florida, I, I was sitting there one morning and watching the sun rise on the Atlantic, and I was just 
it was a little bit windy that morning and the waves were pounding extra hard, just hitting the shore. And I, I just was, was reminded of the, the verse in Job where God was rebuking Job. We've talked about this story recently. And he says, Who shut the sea with doors when it burst from the womb, when I made clouds in its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far you shall come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. As I watched those waves coming in, I, I couldn't imagine trying to stand there and trying to stop them. I don't want the tide to come in any further today, so I'm going to stop you, waves. Silly. The Bible says that that's what God does. God appoints the place where the waves can come, and he says, this far you shall come and no farther. That God, the God who consumes wet sacrifices, the God who delivers his children out of Egypt, the God who defeats death and rises from the dead is the same God that you and I have been praying to this morning. That God sent his son for you and I. That same God saves. That same God is powerful in your circumstances right now. What is it? that you're having a hard time trusting him for? What is it that just seems like a mountain that is too high to climb in your life right now? I want to remind you that it is, that is the God, that God made that mountain. That God spoke all things into existence. That God sustains our very breath today. And that God is able to provide for you. Like I said at the beginning of our message, I think, Kids get this sometimes a little bit better than we do. Remember that song you might have sang in junior church or Sunday school? My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. I hope you believe that today. Let's pray. Father, you truly are mighty. You truly are all-powerful. God, I pray that you would enable us to trust you today. God, forgive us for doubts. Forgive us for, forgive us for making you small in our mind. For, forgive us for looking at our circumstances and letting them overshadow you. May we remember that we have a God, the God we serve, the God that we talk to, the God who loves us, This God is all-powerful, and there is nothing he cannot do. It's in Jesus' name we pray.